So here we are. Like seven months ago, eight months ago, I talked about how God was leading us to move to a new room just because we couldn't fit in the CAC. And, you know, it takes a while to get this room because it's pretty popular on campus. So we had to wait till November, but here we are. We're here. So let's just give God a clap for everything he's doing with our group. It's been a, just a great year so far. You know, we're kind of winding down. Uh, I mean, we still have like a month and a week, but, but we're getting to that point in the semester. I feel like we're, we're starting to go downhill. It's going to speed up here, and the semester's going to be over. And I just want to look back for a second and just celebrate, because it's been, it's been an incredible year for our group as the Communication Arts Center, we've met in there pretty much uh, since our beginning six years ago. We went to a different room for a while. Uh, but, you know, we've never filled that room up. And it was really cool this year as God would just fill up our room a few times. And it was cool to see students just packed out in there and just seeing people uh, being uncomfortable to, or to be here, like to, to sit on the ground so they could be in God's presence. Like, that was cool to see. So I'm thankful for what's happened this year. I'm thankful for our journey in the CAC. Uh, but I'm excited to be here. And I think we're going to be here for a while because, first of all, this is like the biggest room we can meet in. So unless we want to go to the Dome, which I'm not saying the Lord can't do it, uh, let's go. <laughs> but it's so cool for me. You know, some people might find this discouraging, but for me, I'm really encouraged by looking at these empty seats in the balcony and some of them be, or just underneath the balcony, uh, because if we filled up this room on a Tuesday night, we'd have to do that 15 times to reach every student on our campus who needs to find a campus ministry home. Because there's 12,000 students, about, there's about 1,000 of those who are connected to a campus ministry. So, so we need to fit 11,000 people in here somehow. I don't think it's going to happen in just one service, but maybe God will do 15 services someday. I don't know. But it's cool to look at these seats and just dream about, hey, what could God do? What student may God bring in to this room to encounter him for the first time? So I'm not discouraged. I'm excited about these empty seats, and I'm excited to go and ask uh, students to come and join us on Tuesday night. So I'm challenging you guys. Let's start filling this up. Let's go invite people. We have room. I know at the CAC you may not want to invite people because they might just sit on the ground. It's really sweaty in there. It's loud. I get it. But now we're in Lang. You have no excuse. So I pray that you would begin to, well, keep inviting people. I know you're already inviting people. But before we jump into the message, I want to talk about two things. So the first thing is this thing called the World Mission Summit. So you've been hearing about it from John, but, but I haven't really explained it that well. Uh, we showed a promo video just last week, but it doesn't really tell you that much either, to be honest. It's just like, yeah, Jesus. But anyway, so the World Mission Summit, <laughs> it's a really cool event. It's where foreign missionaries that our group, or not our group, our fellowship sends out to the world all come to the World Mission Summit, and, and they share with you about the foreign mission field, about being on the field. And, and there's opportunities like this thing called, or it's called a meal with a missionary, where you get to sit down with, a, or with an actual missionary and talk to them and pick their brain. And there's incredible services and, or just incredible worship. It's, it's really a phenomenal weekend. I don't really know for sure because I've never been there, but I know it's going to be great because people are saying it's great. So it's about $500 when you get transportation, hotel, they provide your meals, like all that stuff that costs the conference. It ends up being around $500, but I just want to challenge you guys, do not let that deter you from going. I don't have $500 to give you, but I believe that, that where God calls, he provides. So if God really wants you to go, I think he'll just help you get there. And also, if you feel called to foreign missions, you really got to go. There's no excuse. Like, like you got to go to this event. It's one of the best events in our country for people who are feeling called to foreign missions. And then the second thing I want to talk about is the missions trip. 
Okay, so there's a trip to Atlanta, which is, I don't know if you've heard of this thing called the Dream Center. They take care of the homeless, prostitutes, things like that. And, and there's a Dream Center in Atlanta, and, and it's an opportunity to go over spring break and to just minister to the homeless, to prostitutes, to people in the inner city, and just be the hands and feet of Christ. And it's only $600. I mean, seriously, you could raise that so easily. If you send out letters to your family and friends, your grandma, maybe your grandma just pay for it herself, but send out those letters People will support you to go. And, and last year, I went to Las Vegas, and it changed my life. I got to lead a couple people to Jesus. I got to get into the ghettos of Las Vegas, and it was truly an incredible week, and it just changed my life. So I pray that you guys would go, uh, just at least go to Atlanta. But if you're feeling called, go to Trinidad. It's $2,000. It seems like a lot, but I'm telling you, like once again, you can raise that. If you send out letters and God wants you to go, he'll provide. So I just want to challenge you guys tonight. If you're feeling just led to go to either of those trips, just trust God and sign up tonight with Rebecca. She'll be back in the Connect Center, back there after service. Just put your name down, sign up. God will provide, I promise. Well, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to promise. And if he doesn't, that stinks. But so anyways, I'm promising though. So all right, so back to the sermon. We are in our second week of our new sermon series called Unstoppable. And it's really just a, it's kind of a mini-series on the book of Acts, because the book of Acts has 28 chapters, so I can't really do it justice in six weeks. That would be crazy. We'd be reading a lot of scripture in here. But I'm going to take just six, of, or six passages that I feel like the Lord wants us to, uh, or to read and study, and we're going to take the, just the rest of the semester to study the book of Acts. And I challenge you to read the book of Acts in your own time at home. If you read like five chapters a week and you read over Thanksgiving break, then you'll get through the entire book of Acts uh, before winter break. So I pray that you guys would do that. So Acts is the story of what the first followers of Jesus did right after Jesus left earth. So he ascends to heaven. He goes back to be with the Father. And then the disciples are entrusted to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So that's the story in Acts. And, and we get to watch Acts as they, uh, or at the beginning, it starts out with just, 100, or just 120 believers praying, just that little group, praying in this thing called the upper room. And throughout the book of Acts, it's a 30-year time span. It spreads all throughout the Roman Empire. And there's churches all over the Roman Empire. And then it ends with the Apostle Paul, who's the greatest, or the greatest missionary that the world has ever known, in the heart of the Roman Empire, in the city of Rome, he's actually in prison, but he's preaching the gospel there. So they take it all the way from Jerusalem, all the way to the city of Rome. It's really an incredible book. I just encourage you to read it. And the reason I chose this book, especially at this time in the year as we're transitioning to this room, is my prayer is that, is that what happened in the book of Acts as they spread from Jerusalem to Rome could happen here at UNI. My prayer is that the gospel could be taken all the way from the CAC to Lang Auditorium, all the way from Dancer to Shoal. Now, that's a long walk. It's a really long walk, I know, especially at night. From Sabin to Schindler, I pray that God could help us to take the gospel to every single student on this campus. Our mission statement is to give all 12,000 students the opportunity to respond to the gospel and become mature followers of Jesus Christ. And Acts is just a blueprint of how you do that. And in Acts 1-8, they give you the key for how to reach your friends. So, so last week we went through uh, chapter 1, but I'll read this verse for us. We'll put it up on the screen. So Jesus is about to leave, and he says this to the disciples. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's saying, if you want to be my witness, if you want to be able to share your faith, then you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So tonight we'll see in Acts chapter 2 that this power came through this experience called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you don't know what that is. Maybe you're like, what in the world is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, tonight you're going to find out. So tonight really what we're doing, so be ready because we're going to study tonight because I want you to really understand this experience. I don't ever want to just tell you something and say, oh, it's true and, and then not show you in the Word. And to show you this experience, it takes a little bit of exploration through the book of Acts. So I'm going to take you through Acts and show you about this incredible experience called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And for me, I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be five years ago on October 1st. So just last October 1st. So it was five years ago from then. And uh, or so, or so when I was in high school, I was involved in this charismatic church. I don't know if you know what that means, but Pentecostal, if you know what that means, but a charismatic Pentecostal hyped up church. This church, they would speak in tongues during service. Okay, so this thing called tongues, maybe you don't know what that is. I'll explain that tonight too. But these people would get up in service and start blabbering off in these different languages. They would start speaking in tongues. Like I didn't understand what was happening and no one explained it to me. So I grew up in this church and I had no clue what was happening. I'm like, I don't know, like, like, I don't know what they're doing. So I'd go home at night and lay on, or just lay in my bed and start blabbering in, in tongues. Well, I thought it was tongues. It was gibberish. And I would just blabber in that. And I didn't have any clue what I was doing. I knew that I was praying somehow, but I didn't really understand it. And then I came to, or to the University of Northern Iowa, to this campus as a freshman, and I got plugged in with Chi Alpha. And I'm thinking, you know, they probably don't speak in tongues in Chi Alpha. You know, I'm safe here. And, uh, and little did I know. Um, so I go to Fall Retreat. And the first night at Fall Retreat, the, the Friday night service is always about just getting right with Jesus. Everyone's at the altar crying, confessing their sins. It's a great night. So I'm like, yeah, it's a great night. It was awesome. Then at the bonfire afterwards, you know, we're sitting around, we're talking. We start talking about tongues because, you know, Chi Alpha believes in it. And people are talking about it. You know, they know what it is. And I'm like, I don't really believe in tongues. I don't really believe in that. And I don't even know that I'm talking to, pe- I'm talking to people in a group that, that really believes in that. It's one of our distinctives. I'm like talking crap about it, to be honest. I'm like, oh, it's stupid. I'm sitting there being arrogant, being a goober, just talking crap about it. And then the next day, the speaker talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. I'm like, shoot, what group am I in? Is this a crazy group? But he begins to explain it, just as I'm going to do tonight. And he shows me in Scripture that this experience is for us. And he talks about how when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it helps you to break free from the sins that are entangling your life. It gives you power from the Holy Spirit to go and reach your friends. And I'm telling you, I was so timid in my faith. I needed that power. And I was addicted to pornography, just being completely transparent. So I was like half and half out Christian. I was like, I need this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like, it will change my life. I just believe that. So I went up to the altar. I'm like, come on, Lord, I'm ready for it. Just came up. I was like, all right, boom, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I started speaking in tongues. I was like, what in the world is happening? And I spoke in those tongues all day long that day. Like, I went to a concert that night. I actually went to the same concert this last weekend. This guy called, or his name is Matt Carney. It's in a club. It's in a bar. Like, we're at this concert together, and I'm speaking in tongues during these songs. I'm like, yes, because this language was something that I had never experienced before, and it was beautiful. It, it was drawing me closer to Jesus. I'm like, i got to pray in this all the time. i got to pray in this whenever I get a chance. So I'd walk through Norn Hall and be, like, praying in tongues, and people are like, that dude is so weird. But I just pray all the time, and it just changed my life. And, and the addiction to pornography, guys, I looked at pornography every day for six years. Boom. Broke off my life in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That timidity that I had in my faith, boom, I was bold. I began to preach the gospel to my friends, to, to share my faith, to not try to hide my Christianity. It absolutely transformed my life. 
And that's why I'm talking about it tonight. If I didn't think it was for today, if I didn't think it was going to improve your life, then I wouldn't talk about it. Because I want to improve your life. That's why we have this. I want you to come here and, and, and to hear from the Lord and, and to go out feeling better than when you came in and, and feeling encouraged. So that's why I'm sharing this with you because, because I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all of us. It's beautiful and it will transform your life for the better. But in order to properly understand Acts chapter 2 and what happens here with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you need to know Acts 1. And some of you uh, just weren't able to make it last week, so I just want to do a brief, or just a brief recap of, or for those of you that were gone. So in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus promises the disciples power from the Holy Spirit that's given through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them that, they, that, or that before they can complete their mission of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, they need this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1, the disciples go into this thing called the upper room and they begin to pray together for this experience. And last week I suggested that there's three things that happened during this prayer. I believe one, I got to remember it now, they waited for God to move. I believe they just waited because they were there for 10 days just praying like, God, God, we're going to wait on you. It's not in our time, it's in your time. And they waited for God to move, or they waited patiently. Secondly, they prayed because it says they prayed. So that's not rocket science. It says they devoted themselves to prayer. So they prayed. And third, I think that God began to squeeze their heart in that upper room and to break it for their own spiritual condition and for the world around them. Because guys, we can be so selfish. We can get so focused on ourselves. And if we're going to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, we better get broken for people because we're not going to want to do it if God doesn't squeeze our hearts. So I believe that they just were broken in that upper room. And then in Acts 2, something incredible happened. So let's read it. We're going to throw it up on the screen. This is what happened right after this. They're praying for this, and this is what the Lord does. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So they listened to Jesus' instructions, and they waited for the power of the Spirit. They gathered in one place. They were waiting, praying, and breaking for the mission ahead of them. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Think about that. If just like we're in here, just this mighty rushing wind comes through. That'd be kind of cool. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And, as this, or, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So because of this Jewish event called Pentecost, just, there's men and women from, from different nations came together and were gathered in Jerusalem, and they heard the disciples speaking in their own language. So that'd be like if I just started speaking in French right now. I don't know French. Or I just started speaking in Spanish. I don't know Spanish. I don't know any other language is besides English. I took five years of German in high school, and like nothing stuck. I don't because <laughs> I don't know about you, I don't remember anything. I remember Guten Tag. I think that's a good day. That's it. Verse 7, and they were just amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that, or that we hear each of us in his own language? And then they start to list some different nations just represented there. So Parthians and Mede and, yeah, I'm not going to read all of those. Let's skip down. Both Jews and proselytes, I think, probably, or I bet the beautiful guy Nick Nepper knows that word back there. 
Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So the disciples were praising God in human languages that they did not know. And all were just amazed and perplexed. And they were saying to each other, what does this mean? But others started mocking them and said, they are filled with wine. But Peter, standing with the, or standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So Peter says, it's only 9 a.m. They ain't drunk. They ain't tailgating. I know some people get drunk over by the dome at 9 a.m., but they weren't doing that. They're Jews. All right, verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he refers back to this prophecy in the Old Testament. The, the prophet Joel, we talked about it last week. Joel prophesied about a time when the Holy Spirit would come upon all believers. So let's read it again. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only given to certain people for certain occasions, prophets, priests, and kings for certain occasions. The Holy Spirit was not given to all people. But Joel prophesies about a time when every single believer, every single person who believes in Jesus Christ could have the Spirit living inside of them, and they could operate in the power of God. This was revolutionary. In this society where only men were deemed as people who could lead and and. And only men were typically be given the Holy Spirit. This passage says that, that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. It says your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And even on your male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. This is revolutionary. I know here in America this doesn't seem like a big deal. But, but in this time, this was incredible. The Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh. I want to dream dreams. I want to see visions from God. Who wants to see a vision from God? That would be cool. Kind of scary, but pretty cool. I want to see visions from the Lord. So Peter then goes on, and he, he gets up, and he preaches the gospel of Jesus. He, he preaches about how Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and, and that he rose from the dead on the third day. And the people are just wondering, how in the world could the disciples know my language? And, and Peter points to Jesus and says, this is happening because of a man who is actually God, who came down from heaven and lived a perfect life. He, he died on the cross for your sins, and then he rose from the dead, and now he's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. That's what Peter says. So let's skip down to verse 37. So now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And this is cool. Verse 41. So those who received this word were baptized, and, they were, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls into the kingdom of God. 3,000 people got saved that day the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus really lived up to that promise that, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. 
And, you know, I was wondering, because, guys, I plan out my sermons way ahead of time before I even knew that, that tonight we'd be moving into Lang. I was like, Lord, why would you want me to preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues? It might freak people out. On a night when we're moving into a new room, there might be new people here. But the reason is, is because if we want to fill this room, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God. We can't do it on our own. We can't have cool enough lights or, or music or cool enough hipster clothes with the worship team. Like, none of that is going to reach this campus. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God wants to send a great awakening through our campus. But I believe it's going to happen through people being filled with the Holy Spirit, given boldness to proclaim their faith, and living out their calling as a follower of Jesus. I believe that. So, to, so the main idea tonight is this. In order to reach our fullest potential as a, or as a ministry and as individuals, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that tonight that you would just speak to us, God. I pray that if we're having concerns or questions about the baptism in the Spirit, that you would just illuminate the Scriptures to us, that you would help us to understand. I pray that as I teach about this, that I would handle the Word of God properly. And God, I pray that students would be given a hunger tonight to go after this incredible experience from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the powerful thing about this is this did not just happen in Acts chapter 2. It's not just this one-time event. Jesus didn't just baptize his first disciples in the Holy Spirit and then quit baptizing believers in the Holy Spirit. Throughout the entire book of Acts, Jesus continues to baptize different groups of people in the Holy Spirit. And we see this pattern of people receiving this baptism and then speaking in other tongues and sometimes even in other human languages, just like the disciples did here in Acts 2 and then other times in heavenly languages. So tonight we're going to do a quick exploration. I'll try to keep it really fast, but I want to show you this in Scripture because I don't want you just to trust me. I want you to, to look at this and to say, it is in the Bible. So I'm going to go through these four experiences really quick, and then we're going to just have some takeaways from it. All right, so the first experience is in Acts 8, verse 14 through 19. It'll be on the screen, so you don't have to flip. But this is when the Samaritans received the baptism of the Spirit. So the Samaritans were uh, people who lived just, n- or just north of, of uh, Judah, uh, I can't get into it, but anyways, there's neighbors, uh, and the Samaritans received the baptism. So it's not just for Jewish people. That's the point of it. So let's read this. It says, or it says, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, so they had received the word of God, they had become Christians, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Here's an important thing. When or when Luke, there's different authors that, or that when they refer to receiving the Holy Spirit, they're talking about just when you get saved. Because you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you when you put your faith in Jesus. But it seems when Luke uses the word receive, he's referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens after salvation. So anyways, it says, pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So they've been baptized, they've been saved, but they hadn't received this baptism of the Spirit. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Spirit. And now when Simon, this, this dude, he's a magician, can't get into it, but Simon sees that the Spirit was given through the, or the, or through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he then offers them some cash and says, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Spirit. He's about to get slapped by Peter. He's like, uh-uh, you don't try to buy the Holy Spirit. But anyways, I can't get into that either. But anyways, he shouldn't have done that. Just get that from that. So three takeaways from this. This is an event that happened after salvation. It says they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus in verse 16. So they had already just received Jesus. They already received the Holy Spirit in the sense of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside believers when they put their faith in Jesus. But they had not received the baptism in the Spirit. 
Secondly, verse 17 shows that it was given through the laying on of hands. So that's why we lay hands when we pray for people to receive the Spirit. And the third thing is obvious outward signs just allude to an Acts 2 type experience. Because Simon saw that they received the Holy Spirit. Like they didn't just feel some tingles inside. And Simon's like, wow, dude, you must have received the Spirit. No, I think something happened. Like, or they could have prophesied, but I believe that they spoke in tongues because that's what we see in the rest of the stories in Acts is that they speak in tongues. So, so Simon saw that there was something that happened that, that wasn't just inward, but it was outward. So, or, or so when we're filled with the Spirit, something outward happens out of that. All right, let's go down to Acts 9, verse 17 through 18. This is when the apostle Paul is baptized in the Holy Spirit. It says, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent to me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. It says Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 9 here. And then we know from other texts that Paul spoke in tongues often. So 1 Corinthians 14, 18, this is the Apostle Paul, or, or he's writing a, or just a letter to the Corinthian church. And he says this, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's pretty confident in his tongue speech. He must have spoken that a lot to be able to say that. So Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he received this gift called tongues. Acts, or let's go down to Acts 10, the third experience. This is where the Gentiles, non-Jews, receive the baptism in the Spirit. Stay with me here. We're going to get going here. I'm going to get fired up in just a few minutes. We're going to get through this first. Verse 44, it says, or says this, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So Peter's preaching, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were just amazed because the gift of the Spirit was even poured out on the Gentiles, on, on the non-Jews. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ then they asked him to remain for some days. A couple observations. One, this happened five to seven years after Acts 2. So we see that this wasn't just something that happened in Acts 2 or just uh, some occurrences right around that time, but it continued to happen five to seven years down the road. Secondly, it was accompanied by speaking in tongues and praising God. So we see that common thread of, of tongues. And then Acts 19, 1 through 6, the last one, this is when the Ephesians received the baptism in the Spirit. And it happened that or that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, or he said to them did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He said, you become a Christian already, but, but did you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus, and on hearing this, they were baptized in the, or in the name of Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So this is over 20 years after Acts 2. 20 years down the road, Jesus is still baptizing people in the Spirit. This happens after salvation. Verse 2, we see that they had already believed but had not received the Holy Spirit. And then finally, this was accompanied by speaking in tongues and prophesying. So with all this in mind, there's five truths tonight. I'm not going to have time to, to just elaborate on these, but I'm going to go through them quick. Five truths about the baptism of the Spirit for you to have complete understanding, 
just what this experience is and, and what God has for you. So the first thing is this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience subsequent, so after salvation that is available to all or to all believers. So, or so we see this explicitly in Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 19, and it can be implied in Acts 10. So it's important to understand that the, whole, that the baptism is not the same thing. I'll say it again, not the same thing as the Holy Spirit coming inside a believer at salvation. It's this experience afterwards. It's this overflow experience where the, the Holy Spirit just overflows your life. And we'll look at that more. But, but once again, in verse 15, 17, we see this example where they had been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they had not yet had the Holy Spirit fall on them. That's just one example. We saw it in other verses as well. But if, if you remember last week, I talked about a Coke bottle, okay? So Coke, like you buy a Coke from the vending machine, you're pumped about it. Coca-Cola Classic, come on somebody, you're pumped. There's Coke inside the bottle. It just looks delicious. Okay, just like the Holy Spirit, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, just like the Coke inside the bottle. But if you just want to get cray-cray and start shaking that Coke, you're like, come on, I'm excited about this. If you open that Coke, it's going to overflow. So just like the Holy Spirit, or just like how the Holy Spirit is inside every Christian, but through the baptism, God shakes you up, and then the Holy Spirit begins to overflow from your life. You begin to have more power, just like I had with holiness, and, and power to, to share your faith. And we see this idea of an overflow experience in John 7, verse 38 and 39. Jesus says this. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive for as for as yet the Spirit had not been given yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he says, it will overflow from your heart like, just like rivers of living water. That's incredible. Guys, I'm telling you, I just believe that there's people in this room, like some of you are just struggling in your faith, if you're honest. You're struggling to get traction. You take two steps forward, three steps back. You just can't seem to get traction. You can't seem to defeat that sin. I believe that you need the baptism of the Spirit so, so the Spirit can overflow in your life and take control of every area. I believe that, guys. It's for you. It's for you tonight. Are you seeing the overflow of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are there rivers of living water flowing from your life? You have to ask yourself that question. And even if you've been baptized in the Spirit before, it's not just, or it's not just a one-time experience. Maybe you need the baptism or, or a fresh filling of the Spirit again if, or if the rivers of living water aren't flowing from your heart anymore. We need this experience. Point two, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is given when we are truly hungry for more of God. It's important to understand that Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Spirit, and it happens when we truly want more of him and want to be his witnesses. If we focus on just having this cool experience where we can put a badge on our chest and be like, wow, I received that, then you're probably not going to get the baptism in the Spirit. Jesus ain't going to baptize you. But if you're hungry for more of God, if you're hungry for him to take control of your life, I believe if you come up to the altar on Friday at Heaven Meets Earth is which is where we're going to experience this incredible thing. So come on Friday, please, Crosspoint Church. Incredible. Heaven meets earth. Come. If you come up to the altar hungry for more of God, if you have genuine, or just a genuine heart and a genuine spirit for just more of God, I believe he's just going to baptize you. I believe that. And if he doesn't do it right, then we'll work with you and pray with you. And I believe God will baptize you. I believe that. I believe Friday's going to be incredible. If you're not planning on coming, you better get your butt there. Fisher, you better be there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know he'll be there. All right. So... And then in Luke 3.16, we see this. It says, so this is the first talk of the baptism of the Spirit in the gospel of Luke. It, John says, I baptize with water, but he, who is, or, but he who is mightier than I is coming, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I want to get baptized in fire. That sounds cool, first of all. Second of all, it's awesome. So the same thing, cool and awesome. Get baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire and notice that Jesus is the one that does it. So when you come up to the altar on Friday, I pray that you would come hungry for more of Jesus, not for just some spiritual experience. Don't come for your next fix of spirituality, but I pray that you'd be hungry for more of Jesus in your life because he's the one who baptizes you. It's got to be about Jesus. I pray that you'd come hungry for that on Friday. And last week we talked about Acts 1.14, and I talked about this already, but, but how they came together and, and they waited for God. They just got on their knees and waited for God. They just said, God, whatever you want. God, whatever you want. And they prayed. They, they devoted themselves to prayer, and, and God squeezed their heart, and they were broken for the world around them. They were broken for the Jewish world around them and the Gentiles. They were just broken to, or to go out and reach their friends. And I believe, as I talked about last week, that that's the posture we have to have if we want to receive the power of the Spirit. If we want to see a move of God at you and I, we've got to be hungry. We've got to be broken. We've got to wait on God. We've got to pray. And I believe God will give us more of the Spirit if we do that. So I'm telling you, between now and Friday, you better start getting broken. You better start praying. You better start waiting on God. Let's get ready. Seriously, I believe that when God... I just when a group of people get hungry like that on this campus, when you have all these other things to worry about, when people get broken for the world around them, God will do mighty things in our midst. I believe that. Come on, who's excited? I'm about to our band, let's go. I'm kidding, not yet. We got some time. Let's get hungry for more of Jesus. The third thing is this. The baptism in the Spirit empowers us for witness. So last week, our key verse, Acts 1-8. Let's read it again. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, I'm going to baptize you. And why am I going to baptize you? To receive power to be witnesses. It's not about some spiritual experience. It's not about getting the butterflies in your stomach. It's about having power. I want power. Because, guys, being honest with you, without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus, I really stink. I'm really scared. I really care way too much what people think about me. Even with the Holy Spirit, I care too much what people think about me. And I need whatever God has for me to help me get out of that. I need his power. I need his strength. And then notice in Acts 2, right after Peter is baptized, that he gets up and he preaches. And Peter was a chicken, all right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Peter was just, oh my gosh, a messed up dude. But he gets baptized in the Spirit. And he gets up. He just jumps up on this thing right here. I'm not going to do it because my pants are kind of tight. But he jumps up on that. And he preaches. Peter was never preaching before. He was scared. Peter gets up and starts preaching. And 3,000 people get saved. He probably preached the best, or the best sermon that the world has ever known. 3,000 people get saved. If we hope to fully experience the baptism, or if we hope to fully just, just to or to use the baptism for the world around us, then we need to be focused on what it's for, which is to reach our friends. Baptism gives power. So the baptism is, is given to us so we can be empowered to reach our friends. It's, it's not about becoming a superior Christian or getting to the next level of Christianity. No, there's no levels. It's not about that. It's about becoming a better you and receiving power for witness, which leads me to my fourth point. The baptism of the Holy Spirit does not make you a superior Christian. So if you're thinking, wow, I really stink. I haven't been baptized. That's stupid, first of all. I'm not going to tell you why. No, I'll tell you why in a little bit. But that's stupid to think that way because God has gifted each person with different things. Each person's at a different place in their journey, and we don't compare ourselves to the person next to us. Okay? And if you've, 
if you've received the baptism and you think you're more spiritual than the guy next to you who doesn't believe in the baptism, that's stupid too. Because God has given you guys different gifts, different callings. He's, he's doing a different thing in each of your lives at this moment, and it's not your job to compare yourself to the person next to you. That's not the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We all have different gifts. We're all just wired for different purposes. You know, some of you have this gift to evangelize, to, to share your faith with your friends, and you'll lead many people to Jesus with or without the baptism. I believe that. Some of you have that gift that's given from God. And some of you have different gifts. You have gifts that are more quiet, things that are things like administration or things like helping others or being generous. And, and God's calling you to, or to lead a quiet, godly life. And you may, not, or you may not lead as many people to Jesus as the person with the gift of evangelism. So it's pointless to compare ourselves to each other. We can't do that. But what the baptism does is it makes you, it kind of enhances and maximizes the gifts that God has given you. So if you have the gift of evangelism, you're going to be a better evangelist. And all of us are going to be better evangelists because it gives us power. But that's what it does. It maximizes our gifts. It maximizes our potential. It's not meant to compare ourselves to each other. You know, Billy Graham, he's probably going to go out and reach more people than you ever will. And he didn't believe in the baptism. But he had this powerful gift of evangelism that God gave him. And he was able to operate in that without the baptism. But if he would have been baptized, I'm telling you, the whole, the whole country would have been saved. I believe that. Billy was incredible. So we can't compare ourselves to each other. So like I said with Peter, Peter became a better Peter. He didn't become better than Paul necessarily, but, but just before this experience in Acts 2, Peter had denied Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. He was a chicken. He was a wimp. He gets baptized. He becomes a better Peter. He doesn't become better than Paul or better than someone else. He becomes a better Peter, and he gets up and preaches the gospel. So I believe that that's what God wants to do in your life, to to transform you into a better version of yourself. I believe that. So it's not a way to get ahead of your friends or or to get a badge of spirituality, but but it's a way for God to to help you reach your fullest potential. And the final thing is this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by the ability to speak in a supernatural prayer language, which is referred to tongues and acts and possibly other gifts. So... I want to make clear that, that this is not just based off my experience. I see this in the scripture. I see that, that when people are baptized in the spirit, that they speak in other tongues. They're given this ability to, to speak in other languages. So in Acts 2, we'll put it up here. It says that there's a couple things that happened. A mighty rushing wind came, tongues of fire, and the disciples speak in human languages that they did not know. Okay, that's the first one. We're going to find the common thread. Acts 8 Simon saw that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit by an obvious outward sign, which was probably tongues if we look at the other experiences. Acts 9, Paul's still with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say anything about tongues in that passage, but we know in other passages that Paul said he speaks in tongues more than all of us. Acts 10, they both praised God or extolled God. I don't know if you use that word, extolled. It's a cool word. You should use it. But they spoke in tongues and they extolled God. Acts 19, 1 through 6, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. So we see this common thread of tongues throughout all these experiences, or we can infer it in Acts 8 and Acts 9, but, but it seems to be what happened. So this could be a human language that you don't know. Maybe they'll start speaking French, or it could be a heavenly language. There's an incredible story. I'm trying to remember it because it's not my notes. I was listening to this podcast, and, and there was this missionary to, uh, to, I think it's New Guinea, maybe, and uh, so it's this tribal people. He comes in, 
he shares about the baptism of the Spirit. He's from Britain, okay? He comes and shares about the baptism of the Spirit with these people who don't speak his language. He probably had a translator. And, and there's a man who comes up to the front, has, you know, dreadlocks. You know, this dude comes up, and, he, and they pray for him to get baptized, and all of a sudden he starts speaking in British English. He speaks with an accent. He did not know British English before. This man from New Guinea begins, begins speaking with a British accent, speaking English. He doesn't know what he's saying. But the missionary is like, holy smokes, this guy is praising God in English. Isn't that incredible? I've heard so many stories about that, about that happening. God can do that. God can give you a different language, or God can give you a prayer language or just a, or just a, or just a heavenly language. I've tried to Google my words. I can't find them. I don't think it's a language. It could be, though. You never know. There could be a tribe or something. But we see throughout that, that this is a common thread of tongues. And, and the cool thing about getting the, the tongues is not like, oh, it, or it's not some bad requirement. It's this really cool gift because tongues helps us to pray when we don't know what to pray for. So, so uh, in Romans 8, verse 26, it says this. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now here's the thing. Theologians disagree on, on what Paul means here by groanings. It could be just groanings like, Grr, like I don't know, maybe he's groaning. I don't know. But others believe, and I tend to concur with them, that, that he's talking about tongues. So the Spirit prays for him when, or when he doesn't know what to pray for. So for me, just today, I was praying in my prayer language because I don't really know what to pray for. I don't know what to pray for for all you guys. I don't always know what's going on in your lives. But I pray in my prayer language, and, and, and the Spirit prays through me. It's incredible. And we know from later texts that there's two different kinds of tongues. So stay with me. We're almost done. There are tongues that are spoken in private, which are referred to in Romans 8 and in other texts that are given when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon you or when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Then there's this other thing called the gift of public tongues. And it's meant to be used publicly in church. Like if someone stood up right now and started speaking in tongues. But the thing about public tongues is it needs to be interpreted by someone else. So someone, you know, Marcus gets up, starts speaking in tongues. We're all like, what's going on in here? And then Ashley interprets it. She says, this is what Marcus is saying. And, it's, and both of them are, are given this through the Holy Spirit. So there's private tongues that you pray in your own time. You should not pray those in front of people. I shouldn't get in here right now. Well, I can do it in this mic, I guess, and start praying in my tongues. I shouldn't do that. The Bible says do not pray in your, in your tongue in front of people. No one understands what you're saying. But God can also give you a public tongue where it's interpreted and it encourages the entire group. So it's important to understand those differences, and we'll look at those more on Friday. I'm telling you, you've got to come on Friday. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. We're going to go deeper into some of this stuff. But the main thing to keep in mind is that tongues is not some terrible, or some terrible requirement that, that we have to do to be baptized. It's not something that, or tongues doesn't make us baptized. Like the baptism comes and then out of that we speak in tongues. It's not something that just, oh, we just start, you know, blabbing off and you'll be baptized. That's not how it works. God baptizes you and it just overflows from your heart and you start speaking in tongues. So I think of it this way, and this might be bad, I don't know, but just like an athlete gets a signing bonus when he signs with a team, I kind of think of it this way, like, you know, when I get baptized, I get that signing bonus. Like, I get to pray in tongues. You know, tongues is not the point of the baptism, but it's something that comes with it, and I want the bonus. I don't know about you. The bonus is cool. I want to be able to speak in tongues and pray, but I don't know what to pray for. So it's important as we prepare to receive the baptism that, to not just be focused on tongues. Yes, we can expect tongues to be given to us when we're baptized, but but the baptism is not about just seeking this gift. We need to be seeking the gift giver, 
Jesus and not the gift. So fix your eyes on Jesus, as I said earlier. It's all about him. It's all about pulling us closer to him. It's not about having a great experience or having this new gift that you can show off to everybody. It's about being so in love with Jesus and so desperate to know him better and to make him known that, that you want anything that he can give to you. It's about being desperate for, for more of him. It's about being hungry to make much of him and, and, and to just be open to anything that God has for us that can draw us closer. Then with the baptism, we get this beautiful thing called the prayer language or called tongues, and, and only God can understand this, and, and we can pray prayers that the Holy Spirit wants us to pray. That is wonderful. That is incredible. Tongues is amazing. So don't be weirded out. It's incredible. If the worship team could come up, we're going to close here. The main idea tonight again is in order to reach our fullest potential as a ministry and as individuals, we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We need the baptism in the Spirit. Each of you in this room are at different places in your journey. I said that earlier. Each of you are at a different spot. You're not all at the same place. We shouldn't pretend or, or try to be at the same place. God is doing something unique in each of your lives right now, and it's beautiful. It's part of the process. And there's some of you that, you know, maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus before. Like, maybe you're hearing about tongues, and you're like, what is this? I don't know Christianity was weird like that. It is kind of weird when you get into it. It's cool, though. But you're like, what is this thing about tongues? And maybe it was over your head tonight. You're like, what the heck? We're reading, like, 50 passages what in the world is this guy doing? This is supposed to be a launch night. Why are we looking at all these passages that seems like no one talks about in church? To be honest, no one ever preaches on these, besides in some churches, but, but most of them don't. You know, why is this guy talking about that? And I just want to say tonight, just what I said at the very beginning, that God has a plan for you. God has you in this spot for a reason. You might be kind of like, like not sure, and that's okay. We're on a journey. It's not like everyone needs to believe in this or even experience this right now. Like, I just pray that you'd be open to it and that you would go on a journey and just see, maybe God wants that for me. And I pray that even if you're kind of still not sure about it, that you would come to Heaven Meets Earth on Friday. Because, like, Heaven Meets Earth, like, we need to understand it's not just about this. The cool thing about Heaven Meets Earth is about five minutes from now, I'm going to close up. We're all going to have to leave. We're going to have to tear, tear everything down. The thing about Heaven Meets Earth is we get time to actually minister to each other. We get time to experience and, and to exercise our spiritual gifts. And we'll just get to, or get to just wait on the Lord in his presence for an hour or two. And God will do incredible things. You know, last year there was a woman uh, from our church who came. And she had never been filled with the Spirit. Actually, her husband is preaching next week here. So get ready for that. He's the youth pastor at Cross Point. So it's the other church. We have a couple of churches we're a part of. But, but Cross Point's one of our churches. And, and, and the youth pastor's wife had had just never experienced the baptism in the Spirit. And she came, she's like 30 years old, and she received the baptism in the Spirit for the first time after trying to experience it so many times. It was beautiful, it was incredible. People got healed. God performed divine healing. Isn't that incredible? That's what having me to is all about. So I pray that you would come. I pray that, you know, some of you, like, like you don't even know what you think about all this, and that's okay. Just come and, and go on the journey with us. That's what we're all about here at Chi Alpha. 
is everyone's in a different place. And I just want to journey with you. I just want to walk with you no matter where you're at. Maybe you don't even, guys, maybe you're like hateful towards Christianity. Maybe uh, the church has hurt you. Maybe you don't know what you think about Jesus. I want to walk with you. Maybe you are just the most fired up dude in the world and you want to go, you know, save everyone on campus. I'll walk with you, although it might be hard to keep up with you, but I'll walk with you. Wherever you're at, I want to just go on this journey with you. As a group, we're going to go on a journey together. I want to be like the believers were in the book of Acts, where they came together and they said, Lord, whatever you want. God, whatever you want to do, we're open for it. And not only did they have these incredible experiences, but, but they went out in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering and trials and, and being put on trial by, or by the Roman authorities, but being stoned and being beaten, being put in jail. And they went into that situation with full hearts and excitement for what God wanted to do. And they pushed forward and they pushed the church all the way from Jerusalem to the heart of the Roman Empire in the city of Rome. I'm telling you, that's what I want to be as a community where we just get in this place where we're hungry for God and we'll do anything. There's nothing that can take us from our walk with Christ. We'll take up our cross. You know, I talked about that last week. We'll deny ourselves. We'll take up our cross and follow Jesus just no matter what he asks us to do. Like, we're not jumping off this train. I pray that God will call us to be that community. And I believe that as we do this, as we're open to the things of God, as we press forward in the midst of persecution or suffering or trials, that God will fill this space. I believe that with everything I have, it may not happen next week. It may happen 20 years from now. I don't know. But God's going to do it. So let's stay faithful and let's pursue Jesus and whatever he has for us. And maybe you have once tried to receive the baptism. And I tell you tonight, go for it again. You know, Matt McClellan, he's our worship director. I got to experience this beautiful experience with him where he had pursued the baptism many times. And then during my sophomore year at Fall Retreat, he had been hurt by people who tried to pray with him for the baptism, had really tough experiences. And then at or during our sophomore year, he came up and said, Lord, I'll go for it one more time. And boom, he was baptized. And it was beautiful. He just wept at the altar before the Lord. I believe that can happen for some of you. And then there's others of you, those kids that grew up in church, specifically in our kind of church that believes in this. And you went to camp and you got baptized in the spirit and you spoke in tongues when you were seven years old and you thought you achieved all the spirituality that God has for you and you stopped pursuing him. And you stop chasing after him. I'm saying tonight that you need to get on your knees before the Lord and you need to start pursuing anything he has for you. I don't care if you spoke in tongues when you're seven. I don't care if you spoke in tongues at Fall Retreat. Guys, this is a daily walk with the Lord. It's not just one-time experience of, of being baptized. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 5, Paul exhorts the church. He says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. That's what I want to be as a group. That's what I want us to be. So if you guys could stand with me. God is calling us to be a group who seeks everything that he has for us. Can we make a commitment tonight to pursue whatever the Lord has for us, to be open for whatever God wants to do in our day? Can we make a commitment to be so hungry for Jesus that, that God begins to transform us very deeply and then he begins to spread us out to our friends, that, that God does something deep inside of us and, and then we begin to spill out to our friends? Can, can we commit to that, to, to being hungry for God and, and for seeing impossible things happen around us and believing that God can do the impossible here at UNI. Can we be that group? And the last question for you is, can we make a commitment to ask God to bring heaven down to earth here at UNI? I want to see heaven and earth collide. That's what I want to see. That's the whole heart of heaven meets earth. 
I'm praying that God could just bring a little bit of heaven in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the struggles of 2016. It can be a tough year. It is a tough year. In the midst of that, that God could bring heaven to you and I. Can we make a commitment to doing whatever we have to do to make that happen? Friday night, we're going to ask the Lord to invade our service for, for heaven to come down, and I pray that you'd be there. pray that you would come. So you guys would close your eyes and bow your heads all across this room. I have two questions for you tonight. The first thing is this. If you're not living right, if you're not in relationship with Jesus, if, if you're honest, you're not really walking in the Christian faith, you know, maybe you never have walked with Jesus, maybe you never followed Jesus, or maybe you did in the past, but then, but then you kind of fell off the path, and tonight you want to jump back on the path and go on the journey with us as a group. If you want to put your faith in Jesus, I just want to challenge you right now just to, just to lift up your hand right now. I see that hand. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? I see that hand. See that hand? Tons of hands going up in this room. All right, you can put your hands down. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer of, of repentance and, and just to ask Jesus to save us. And I just want you to pray it in your heart. Pray it in your own words. You don't have to have any fancy words. Just ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to give you a fresh start. So God, we love you so much. We thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you for the four people who raised their hand to, to put their faith in you. And God, tonight I pray that there would be a transaction that happens. God, I pray that you would take our filthy rags and replace it with your righteousness and your purity. God, I pray that you'd give us a fresh start. I pray that you'd save us from our sins. Lord, we thank you that you died on the cross for us. We thank you that you rose from the dead and you defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and the second group of us, keep your heads bowed, keep your eyes closed. If you're in this room and you just want more of the Holy Spirit, you don't know what that looks like. Maybe it's the baptism. Maybe it's something else. But if you want more of God in your life, can you just raise your hands to heaven? All the hands are going up in this room. Just, just put your hands up and actually raise both hands to heaven, please. And we're going to sing this song. We can jump back into King of My Heart. And I want you, this to be your prayer throughout this song. I want you to pray in your own heart that God would make himself the king of your heart and that the Holy Spirit would have his way. So let's sing that song.